Luke is something else. Able to fall asleep at the snap of a finger and remain there in peaceful slumber until it's time to get up. He's like a light switch, off or on, awake or asleep, nothing in between. I envy him. He doesn't lie awake worrying about things like I do. I shiver, visualizing the crippler as I listen to Carl drive off down the hill. Absently, I anticipate the screech of brake pad rivets scraping against pitted and scarred metal drums. I hear fingernails on a chalkboard, and I feel it in my teeth when Carl halts for the stop sign at the bottom of the hill. Luke stirs not, and except for his rhythmic wheezing, the night reclaims its calm, which ushers the return of my worried state of mind. Irritated, lonely, I flip my pillow over to the cool side and lay my head back down. I close my eyes knowing there isn't enough time left to go back to sleep. Tossing and turning, listening to the quiet, I, I struggle in vain not to think about the crippler. My mind swirls, searching for options that do not exist. I have to go through with it. I have to be a man and not back down. But a larger dread, one bigger and far heavier than my immediate dilemma, has left me as weakened and tired as a fish, slowly being starved of oxygen. Keep swimming, or you'll sink to the bottom and never come up. Things will get better. I keep telling myself, but I feel like I am being tricked or duped by something I can't see. A dark and dangerous foe, one who follows no rules, observes no code, intends me great harm, and takes pleasure in my suffering. Playing upon my fears, the invisible darkness is slowly sapping my essence. It is a bad way to live, looking over your shoulder all the time. I wish I had someone to talk to. I have questions, lots of questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Can you hear me? Please, I need answers. I can't stand it any longer. Distracted, I get up and dress as quietly as possible, not daring to wake our mother, Lucinda, whom we regard with careful unease even when she is awake on account of her being sad or angry ever since our baby brother, Matthew, died. Some nights I awaken to hear Lucinda crying in her room. I lie there and listen until my heart hurts so bad for her I tiptoe down the hall to her room and tap on her door. She never lets me in. Go back to bed. That's all she ever says. And I feel my dangerous foe pulling me a little further into the darkness. Fully dressed, I am ready, but it is still too early to head out. For a while, I just sit on my bed and watch Luke sleep. I do that a lot, just watch him sleep. Hearing him breathing comforts me. Over and over, I tell myself, he won't stop breathing. The waiting gets to me, and I reach over and gently shake Luke's arm. I'm already awake, you big donkey, he says, grinning, and I feel a thousand percent better. Come on, Luke, hurry up. Keep your shirt on. I can't find my other tennis shoe. With one leg already hanging out of the bedroom window, I wave for him to follow. Mac probably got your shoe again. Come on. I bet we'll find it in the garage. Mac is asleep at the foot of my bed. His ears twitch at the mention of his name, and he lifts his head. He's mildly annoyed that we are once again stealing out into the night. 
It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Mac knows better than to bark, though. We do this kind of stealthy night crawling all the time. Depending on his mood, Mac sometimes joins us on our nocturnal adventures. On this particular night, he opts to break the triad. Mac is very smart. He understands the concepts of culpability, accessory, and accomplice better than I do. I think he knows when we are up to no good. Besides, he manages to get himself into plenty of trouble without tagging along with us. Luke complains while he hops across the dew-covered lawn on one shoe. Darn grass is wet. I love him and all. In fact, he is my best friend, but sometimes Luke can be a royal pain in the rump. I tell myself all little brothers are annoying sometimes. Opening the side door to the garage, I pull up as hard as I can on the doorknob to silence the squeaky hinges. Garage smells wafting in the blackness. Grease and turpentine mixed with the fragrance of fermenting grass on the old push mower fill my nose as I step through the doorway. I flick on my Flash Gordon flashlight and scan the oil-stained floor, then smile when I spot Luke's shoe lying next to Betsy's front wheel. Like I told you, Red, there it is. Luke Box begrudging my intuitive powers. You think you're so darn smart, Wade. How come you're not on Ed Sullivan? I am convinced Luke must be half minor bird. The way he mimics Lucinda can sometimes drive me up the wall. Maybe I'll be on TV someday. I jerk his brand new Los Angeles Dodgers cap down over his eyes, and he swings at me in the dark, missing as usual. I pick up his errant sneaker, pooch out my mouth, plant my free hand on my hip, and try my best to sound like Ed Sullivan. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have a really, really, really big shoe. You don't even sound like him. Put on your darn shoe and let's get going. They're probably already waiting for us. Luke methodically makes a bow with an overlong lace as I train the flashlight beam on his foot. He is only six years old and has yet to fully master the art of shoe tying. I wait patiently for him to finish. I have learned not to rush or badmouth his handiwork unless I am up for contending with his prickly temper. The opposite of me, the blonde, blue-eyed, reserved older brother, Luke isn't the least bit shy about expressing himself. He is a red-headed firecracker, and making him mad is not a good idea at this moment. If he makes a ruckus, we're sure to be discovered. Back in the yard, we both jump when Mac materializes in front of us. He whines a little, as if to warn us not to go, then disappears into the inky black behind the garage. Darn dog, he's just going to do his duty. Shh, shh Luke, you wake Lucinda, and I'll tan you good right after she tans the both of us. He swings at me again. Luke is quick to make judgmental or disparaging remarks about Mac. It is his way of clarifying his own position in the pecking order. I understand. But the fact is, Mac, being the beneficiary of the best genes of the German Shepherd and Doberman Pinscher breeds, can make a snack out of little Luke anytime he cares to. Fortunately for Luke and me, Mac loves us more than, well, more than almost anything. We're risking the skin off our behinds this night because I ran my mouth off. An unusual behavior for me. I suppose it's not a bad thing to make bold and daring statements to an audience of admiring fellow daredevils, but it's not a good idea to do it in the middle of a crowded schoolyard when Guillermo Francisco Torres Smith, Gooey for short, is standing right in front of you. Gooey is nine. 
a year older than me, and does not like the fact that I am a better cardboard slider than he is. He also carries a grudge against me for letting him take the blame for the green dye that mysteriously ended up in the Highland Park public pool last summer. It wasn't enough for me to be the humble champion cardboard slider of Billy Goat Hill. No, I had to be prideful and brag that I could take the Crippler from top to bottom in the dark. Is that so? Gooey had chided, challenging my outlandish claim. Instantly I knew that I messed up. Clamps of unease gripped my shoulders and I cleared my throat. <clears throat> yes, that is so, Gooey. He grinned. Well now, let me get this straight. You are actually claiming you can run the crippler in the dark? You heard me. I gave him a look that implored him not to push it any further. That was all he needed to drop the hammer. He flashed a meaner grin. So, for all these witnesses to hear, you are promising to run the crippler in the dark? Is that right? Yep. Well then, Wade Parker, Mr. Big Shot Fancy Pants Champion Cardboard Slider, how about tonight then? Say at about 2.15 or so? It should be quite a show. Maybe we can sell some tickets. Sensing the brewing of something big, more kids had quickly gathered around us. Some of them were Billy Goat Hill regulars. And just like that, the cards were on the table. It was not possible for me to back down. My old man's out of town again, I said with a measure of thespian couth. 2.15 shouldn't be any problem at all. You are poco loco, man. My own words had pricked at a raw corner of my heart. Despite